0: Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. And we thank you that you have allowed us to, uh, to wake up and to draw breath and to participate in this church service. Um, we thank you God for our worship team, which has so faithfully led us in worship and led us into your presence, even though we're all scattered in these days. Um, and now God, we turn to your word and we ask that you would speak to us. We ask God that you would speak clearly I pray for myself, God, that you would help me to communicate clearly your word. I pray that it would be your words and not mine. I pray that it would be you who are seen and you who are heard and not me who is seen or heard. I pray that you would make our our eyes open, our ears open, our hearts receptive to what it is that you have to show us today about yourself. And we pray, God, that when this is over, we will recognize that we have had an encounter with you because that is what our hearts long for. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Great to be back with you again today. We are continuing in our new series for 2021 uh, called Back to Basics. And uh, the text today that I'm going to teach out of is just one verse. John chapter 16, verse 24. John 16, verse 24. You can uh, look it up in your Bible if you're looking up real fast. Or you can follow along on the screen. This is what it says. John 16, verse 24. It says, until now. This is Jesus speaking. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There is a word in my house which is said more than any other word. Probably, it may not be an exaggeration to say it is said more than every other word combined. This word that is, that is so often spoken in my home, it is not the word the, it is not the word is, it is not the word and or if or but. The word in my house that is spoken more than any other word in the English language is this, mom. The, the word that you hear more in my house than any other word is mom. And I know that this is not unique to the Anderson household. I know in most living situations where there is a child and a mother present, the the proliferation of the word mom or its derivatives, mama, mommy, mother, the, the, the proliferation of how frequently that those words are spoken is um, much greater than virtually any other word. And uh, if I can get an amen from the moms, I know I would hear that right now. Uh, what has been amazing has been in this COVID, work from home, uh, school from home season, the rate at which the word mom has been spoken, really not spoken, the rate at which the word mom has been yelled in our house is at a fever pitch. And the progression is kind of interesting, isn't it? You know, Anyone who's a a mom, I think, will will probably understand this a little bit. Uh, When they're little and they're just starting to talk and the first time they say the word mom, It's like it it brings tears to your eyes. And fast forward six, eight, ten years, and they are still making you cry when they say your name. But it is not because it's so cute anymore. We are feeling that. We are definitely feeling that in the Anderson household right now. It is not infrequent that a situation like this will play out. This happens all the time. Uh, I'm working in my room at my desk and somewhere in the other part of the house. We don't have that big of a house And so as long as you raise your voice a little bit, most people in the house, wherever they are, are going to hear you. And our kids know that. And so I'll be working in my room and I'll start hearing mom, 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 mom. And I've got my headphones on and I pretend I can't hear it, even though I can hear it. And then a few moments later, someone will come busting into my room. Dad, do you know where mom is? No, I don't know where mom is. Well, can you tell mom that I'm looking for her? No, I just told you that I don't know where she is. What do you need from mom? N- nothing. I just need mom. But what do you need from her? I need something from mom. What do you need from mom? I can't get my sock on. Will you tell mom that? It's like, I'm, I'm right here. The question I want to put before us today, why? Why, uh, why in the Anderson household is the name mom spoken so much? Why in so many houses, all living situations all over the country, is the name mom spoken so much and so frequently? Well, we can have a discussion about um, uh, our parenting uh, some other time, but here's what I think it is. The reason so many kids say the word mom so often is because it works. See, our, our, whatever the need is, whatever the perceived need, whatever the issue, the problem, the, the thing that the child needs in that moment, what they know is that if they speak the name mom loud enough, that issue, problem, thing that needs to be dealt with gets dealt with because help comes. So the reason that our kids say mom so much is because it works. It It, it generates results. And now I don't want to um, offend anyone today. I don't think I will when I say this. But in a sense, we are all a little bit like my kids. We all have needs. We all have problems, real or perceived. We all recognize at some level, and I would argue whether you're a Christian or not, and I'm going to support that with a couple of statistics right here in a moment. We all understand at some level that we cannot do everything we need for ourselves within ourselves. We need outside Help. These statistics are a little bit old, but I think they're so interesting. In 2004, a study in 2004, 30% of self-described atheists said that they pray sometimes. In another study, similar one, 17% of non-believers said that they prayed regularly. And so my question is why? For those who would say that I don't even believe that there is a God, why are they praying? I would argue it's not because life is good and the job is good and the kids are healthy and the bank account is full. I would argue that it's more likely that they are praying to whatever it is that they think they are praying to when they need something, when they need help. I would argue that it is the adult version of what my kids are doing all the time. It is the adult version of crying out mom. It's because we need outside help and we recognize it. The question is, will help come? And I would say that depends on who you're calling. It depends on who you're calling to. So we're continuing today in our Back to Basics series. We're rooted this series in Acts chapter four. Peter and John, the disciples are brought before the council. The council is astonished by what they see and hear from these two men. And they say, we're told in in Acts chapter four, that it's because they recognize that they had been with Jesus. Something about them having been with Jesus was very obvious to those who were around them. And so for the first half of this Back to Basics series, uh, we are just looking at what does it look like for us to be with Jesus, such that it makes such a change in our lives that other people will recognize it. And so the first week, we talked about being in God's Word and how important it is to get to know God through His Word. And now we're in the middle of a little bit of what I would call a series inside of a series. There's a little bit of a Russian doll series. So we're doing a three-week study of prayer. Last week, we tried to answer the question, what is prayer? And if any of you can remember what the three R's of prayer were from last week, you get a gold star. Uh, I'm not sure I can remember it. I'm just kidding. I can't remember it. But we looked at the three R's of prayer last week. What is prayer? This week, we are going to try to answer or try to begin to answer. We're just going to scratch the surface of trying to answer the question why pray? Why pray? Now, as uh, as I said last week, when I got into this little mini-series, I had this moment of like, what have I gotten myself into? How do you possibly distill the topic of prayer down to, into a few sermons? And it can't be done. And that um, that feeling carried with me this week when I started thinking about and studying for the question, why pray? Because this, based on what we find in the Bible and in other books that have been written about prayer, this could be like a 75 or 100-point sermon. It's not going to be, but there are so many reasons that we are encouraged to pray or that I think we should pray as Christians. But here it is. Here's the main point. If you get nothing else out of this message, here's what I hope you get. And I'm gonna spend the rest of our time together trying to support it. Why pray? The answer I believe is because it works. Why pray? Because it works. And as we come back to the, to the, the verse that I just read to open up this sermon, we're gonna find in that verse three answers, three principles, three reasons that I think we can use to answer the question, why pray? They are not all the reasons that we should pray, but I think in some ways they are a distillation of three of the major reasons why why God, why the Bible encourages us, why we should pray. Um, so here we go. Uh, as we come back to this verse, As always, when we come to a biblical text, we want to know what is the context. As we've picked this up just in the middle of who knows what's going on, let me just give us a little bit of color of what's going on here that will help us understand how this verse can apply to us in our study of prayer today. So we are in what is called Jesus' upper room discourse. It's found in the Gospel of John. John's the only one who gives us this. It's five chapters, four and a half chapters, basically, of what Jesus shared with his disciples as they celebrated Passover in the upper room the night before he was crucified. And one of the major themes of that discourse is Jesus is telling them what is about to happen, and they don't totally understand. But Jesus says to them that, I'm about to go away. And he goes, and that is going to make you very sad. He goes, but even though I am going away, I will still be able to help you. And this verse that I just read is part of his answer to the question, how? How are you still gonna be able to help your disciples, Jesus, after you have gone away? And as I said, we're gonna see three things in this verse that help us answer the question, why pray? The first one is this, why pray? Because God tells us to, because God tells us to. If we look back at verse 24 of John chapter 16, Jesus says, until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Now we're gonna hold that probably for next week uh, when we're gonna talk about how to pray. He says, until now, you have asked nothing in my name. And then he says one word. That's all we need for this point. He says, ask, ask. Jesus says, when you need help, when you are discouraged, when you, when you, the full weight of what is happening to you hits you, all you need to do is ask. And now the Greek behind this word is very interesting because it's in the present tense. And what the present tense carries in Greek is the idea of a continuous or ongoing action. So, so though this verse translated in the ESV just says ask, as one commentator said, what it really is getting at is Jesus is saying, continually ask, keep on asking, always ask. And I don't need to remind us, but I'm going to. This is a theme that just runs rampant throughout all of scripture. Just look at some of these verses that I'm gonna share with you right now. Psalm 50:15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. First Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Luke 18.1, and Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray. Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer. Why pray? It's really simple because God tells us to pray and it's all over his word. I love the way Martin Luther says it in two different places. In one place, he says this, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and the business of cobblers to mend shoes so it is the business of christians to pray and elsewhere he puts it this way he says we are as strictly and solemnly commanded to pray as in the others he's talking about the other commandments as in the others not to kill not to kill it, not to steal excuse me etc why pray because god tells us to pray he commands it and so <laughs> We should do what he tells us to do. Uh, I had an experience about six years ago that deeply, deeply impacted me when it comes to the idea of obedience in prayer. Uh, We were living in Ohio at the time. Our kids were much younger than they are right now. In fact, we didn't even have all the kids that we have now at that time. And we were coming home. We were driving home from a trip having visited some family, and we were coming north on I-77 in eastern Ohio, heading back to the uh, northeast Ohio where we lived, and um, someone had to go to the bathroom. Probably it was me, but for the sake of this story, let's pretend it wasn't, but it it probably was me, and you know if you have had young kids or if you have young kids who are being potty trained or who are in diapers that there's no such thing as a five-minute rest stop. You're looking at 25 minutes minimum. And we were less than an hour from home. And so I was like, the last thing I wanted to do was stop for 25 minutes at a rest area, but it had to be done. I remember it so clearly it was winter. The winter sun was just touching, just setting, just starting to touch down on the horizon. And as we pulled up to the next rest area, uh, I pulled off and we, we pulled into the rest area got into the rest area. The ladies were using the facilities. And Howie, my oldest son, was about four at the time. And I was out in the lobby with him. And uh, you know a four-year-old who's been strapped in a car seat for hours. He was running around that lobby like a madman, just, just doing lap after lap after lap. And while he was running, uh, we could hear, I started to hear some noises from around the corner uh, where the vending machines are. And it, it, it sounded human, but it wasn't talking. I wasn't sure if it was mumbling or maybe like chanting or even some singing and I actually really had the thought of maybe someone who's not quite in their right mind is there around the corner and about that that time that that thought was in my head Howie my four-year-old goes goes running around the corner where that noise is coming from and so I follow him and as we come around the corner we see two men there on the floor and they're Muslim and they've got their prayer mats out and they're facing east and they've got their faces down on the floor saying the prayer that they recite every day at sundown. And in that season of my life, I was really wrestling with, with how to be a, a dad and how to, how to be a good employee and how to be a, a follower of Jesus. And, and I was really wrestling with, does my life reflect? Do, do, am I living my life in such a way that it actually shows that I, what I say I believe is true. And in that season, as I'm wrestling with all these things and struggling with all these things and asking all of these questions, I could barely get myself out of bed 10 minutes before my kids to offer up some weak prayer to God for help and guidance during the day. And I'm like, here are these guys who probably like me are, are less than an hour from home. Certainly they have just as busy lives as I do, but they are so committed to prayer that they are willing to pull off the highway at sundown and get face down in a public bathroom to, to fulfill their commitment to prayer. And what really impacted me in that moment was I was like, I don't even believe they're praying to a God who can answer them. I know the living God and their devotion, their commitment to prayer puts me to shame. Now, I don't wanna belabor this point and And as I'm about to belabor this point, <laughs> uh, Several of the authors that I read reading books leading up to this, as I was studying for this series that I'm preaching on prayer, several authors said the same thing uh, or in different words. And all of them basically said, it is a sin not to pray. It is a sin not to pray. It's like, wow. Wow. Uh, now, the danger of that is, and, and we're really good at doing this as Christians. The danger in that is that we take it to legalism, right? And we say, well, well, okay, so God commands us to pray. And so I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray regularly because in some way that's going to get me in, in God's good graces. That's going to earn me favor with God. And if I'm, if I commit to pray like he's asked me to, then I'm going to get something from him. That's not at all what we're getting at in this, but, We have to, we have to come face to face with the fact that all over this book, God is saying, you need to pray. You should pray. And if we are following the living God of the universe, there should be something that wells up inside of us that says, if he is asking me to do it, it's probably something I should make an effort to commit to. But here's the, here's the, here's the context for that. God is not commanding us to pray. God is not calling us to pray as like one extra burden, as some uh, some other thing to get in the way of what we really wanna do and to be one extra, um, like, you gotta do this for me even though it's not that good for you. Prayer is for our good. And so when God commands us to pray, when he calls us to pray, it's because he knows that it's for our good and it's not to make things harder. And we are gonna see that, in the last two points that we're gonna draw out of this verse that we're looking at. So point number one, God commands us to pray. Why should we pray? Because God commands us to. Point number two, why should we pray? Because prayer changes things. Because prayer changes things. As we just continue to move on in this short verse we're looking at. Jesus says, ask, and then what does he say? And you will receive. Doesn't say you might receive. Doesn't say you may receive. He says, ask, and you will receive. He's saying prayer works. Something will happen when you pray. Now, it's not a magic formula, and and we gotta be really clear about that. He's saying when you pray in my name, you will receive. Now, that doesn't mean that anything we ask for in Jesus' name, all of a sudden we're gonna get. But here is the point. Prayer works. He's saying you will receive. Something will happen when you pray. Things change When you pray, and what we need to be careful of here is not going to the other extreme. So, so it's not a magic formula whereby we can just get anything we want from God, like he's a magic, like he's a, a genie. But we can't take that to the opposite extreme either, and we can't say. Well, God is perfect and his will is perfect and he's going to do what he wants. And so what is the point in praying? We, we don't need to pray because God already knows what he's going to do and he's going to do it. No, the, 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 the message of this text is that when we ask something changes. And so we have to hold those two in tension. When we pray, it changes things. I really love the way that John Calvin uh, puts this. Now, for those keeping track at home, that is a Martin Luther quote and a John Calvin quote in the same sermon. I mean, that's come on. I like the way John Calvin puts this. He says this, "God invites us to do so." That he's talking about prayer. God invites us to do so and promises to answer prayers because he is good and our loving heavenly father. Also, God often waits to give a blessing until you have prayed for it. Why? Good things that we do not ask for will usually be interpreted by our hearts as the fruit of our own wisdom and diligence. Gifts from God that are not acknowledged as such are deadly to the soul because they thicken the illusion of self-sufficiency that leads to overconfidence and sets us up for failure. Do you see what he's saying there? He is saying, sometimes God waits to give us something until we've asked for it. Because if we get something and we didn't ask God for it, it's very easy for us to think, oh, I got that by the power of my hand. But if we ask God first and then we receive the gift, we recognize just like last week, point number three, prayer is recognition. We recognize that it was God who gave us that gift. Now, look, this is not a prosperity preacher. This is John Calvin. He is the patron saint of Presbyterians. That was a joke. This is is not like, hey, God waits to give us good things and money and success and power until we ask him. This is John Calvin who is saying, when you pray in some mysterious way, God responds. Prayer changes things. And this is both personal and corporate. This is both true for us and is true for the world around us. Prayer changes things in the world around us as well. And thank God for that. Uh, Richard Lovelace, he wrote a, a fantastic book called The Dynamics of Spiritual Life. He says this as it relates to prayer changing the world around us. He says, First, the prayer of faith is the instrument which releases the mighty acts of the risen Christ in history. Prayer, in some mysterious, wonderful, awesome way, unlocks the power of Christ in our world. That's unbelievable. Prayer changes things. The clear teaching of this verse and many others like it is that God responds to prayer. Prayer works, prayer changes things. Uh, There's a story, it's not a story, it actually happened. Uh, There was a guy who lived in New York City, his name was Jeremiah Lanfear, in the uh, 1850s and he was a businessman and in the late 1850s, uh, New York City was in the midst of a a significant recession. Um, It's estimated that up to 30,000 men were out of work. So businesses were shutting down, the economy was slowing down, and Jeremiah Lanfear felt God put on his heart that he needed to do something about it. And so what he did was he started a prayer meeting. He started a prayer meeting in New York City on September 23rd, 1957. Six people showed up. It was on Wednesday from 12 to 1 o'clock. Six people showed up and they began to pray. Within a month they moved that that prayer meeting from weekly to daily, every day, people came to pray on their lunch hour and within six months, it is estimated that 10,000 people in New York were spending their lunch hour, 12 to one o'clock every day praying. It is also estimated that within two years, one million people came to know Jesus Christ as their savior as a result of those prayer meetings that were happening in the city. Prayer changes things. Why do we pray? Why pray? Because it works. Because we have a good and loving and powerful heavenly father who delights to give good gifts to his children and who delights to be called on in their time of need and answer them. There is not a person listening to this sermon this morning that does not now need something changed in their life. Why do we pray about jobs and school and for friends and for neighbors, and for our community, and for our church, and for our government, for people who are sick, and for people who are suffering, and for people who are in need. Why do we pray for those things? Because prayer works. Because prayer changes things. I cannot emphasize that enough. It works. It changes things. So why do we pray? One, because God has told us to. Two, because it changes things. And then the last thing I want us to see in this verse as we think about why pray is not only prayer changes things, point number two, but point number three, prayer changes us. Prayer changes us. Jesus says, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. That your joy may may be full. Remember the context that we talked about a few minutes ago. Here are the disciples. It's the night before Jesus is going to be crucified. And then not long after that, he's going to ascend to heaven and leave them here on earth. And Jesus is saying, you are going to be very sad. He's saying, but you will find joy. You can still have joy. How? When you ask me, when you pray, it is through the act. Jesus is saying, it is through the act of prayer that your joy will be made full. Prayer will change you. Tim Keller says prayer is how God shares his joy with us, which is why he created us. And I would argue, if I can just riff on this and expand it a little bit broader in the sense of the full scope of scripture, here in this verse, Jesus is saying you will get joy through prayer. But I would argue, because I think it's the testimony of the word of God, that we get more than joy through prayer. We get all that we need through prayer. It is in prayer that God gives us strength, peace, power, patience, endurance, hope, self-knowledge, and the list could go on and on. It is in prayer. Remember point number two last week, prayer is a relationship. It is in prayer that God gives us himself. We get God when we pray. It is why in this verse Jesus can say to his disciples, it is through prayer that you will get joy. Why? Because God is the source of joy. And so, therefore, the natural conclusion is that when you pray, you will get more of God, which therefore will increase your joy. God is the source of our joy, and it is in prayer that we get it. Prayer changes us, it gives us what we need. We all have a phone, or most of us have a phone. I, would, I don't have mine with me, or I'd hold it up. We all know how a phone works. A phone, a cell phone, unless you got some special one that we're not aware of. It does not have power in and of itself. It cannot power itself. We know that our phones every day or every other day need to be plugged into a power source because they do not have power on their own. It is only when they have a a power source from outside filling them up that they can function properly. And uh, Abundant Life Christian Fellowship, prayer, is the cord that connects us to the power source that is God. It changes us. We do not have joy in and of ourselves, but God has it. And when we pray, it is like getting plugged in to the cord that is connected to the source of joy and it flows into us. We do not have strength, power, hope, endurance, peace, Patience, self-knowledge. We don't have those things in and of ourselves. We get them because God is the source of them. And in prayer, we are plugged into the power cord that is plugged into the source. And it is is how we are changed. We all run out of juice if we are not plugged back in. Uh, I love this. I love the way P.T. Forsyth in his book, Power Through Prayer says this. And I know if you're like, Gary, a lot of quotes in this sermon. I'm like, you can't believe how many I left out. This is what P.T. Forsyth says, uh, and this is just a little bit mind-blowing. So just, just listen to what he says about Jesus and his prayers as we think about the idea that prayer changes us. He says, The greatest things Christ did for the kingdom of God were done in the night and not in the day. His prayers meant more than his miracles. He was mightiest in his action for men, not when he was acting on men, but on God he did most for his public in entire solitude. His nights were not always the rest of weakness from the day before, but often the storing of strength for the day to come. His nights were not always the rest of weakness from the day before, but often the storing of strength for the day to come. Do you see what he is saying? And and this is not scripture, it's just his. It's just one man's opinion, but but it is backed up by the testimony of scripture. He is saying that the most powerful things Christ did when he was on earth were his times of prayer. I love what he says at the end of that quote. His nights were not rest from weakness from the day before, but they were the nights that he got filled up with strength for the day to come. Prayer gives us what we need to fulfill our mission. If that was true for Christ how much more so is it true for us? So why pray? Because God tells us to, because it changes things, and because prayer changes us. Now, there's been a lot of discussion uh, in our house lately about how do we get the, um, the rate of the word mom decreased, the rate that the word mom is spoken in our house decreased. We haven't come up with a great solution to that yet. But here's where that illustration breaks down. Because God, our Father in heaven, he is telling us the opposite. He is not like, hey, stop saying my name so much. He is like, call on me, call on me, call on me, call on me all the time, continually call on me, ask, ask, and keep asking everywhere and in every situation, call on me. And we only have to look to Jesus to get our cue because Jesus, on the night before he went to the cross, on the night before he went to the cross, to take on a penalty of sin, which was not his. On the night before he went to die for a world that did not know him and did not respect him as who he was, for for on the night before Jesus went to suffer and die in the place that you and I should have been, what did he do? He went to a garden and he prayed. Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus knew what was coming and he knew that he needed the strength to face it. And so what did he do? He went to the power source. He, he, he did what was before him. Je- I would argue that Jesus went to Calvary because of the power that he received through his life of prayer and particularly the prayers that he prayed the night before he went to the cross. Jesus asked and he received and his joy was full even in the midst of such suffering because as the writer of Hebrews reminds us, that it was for the joy that was set before him that Jesus endured the cross. So why pray? Because God tells us to, because it changes things, and because it changes us. Why pray? Because it works, because it works, because it works. With that, let's pray. God, we thank you once again for the truth that you have revealed to us in your word. God, we thank you that you have given us such a thing as prayer and that you actually listen to us when we pray. We thank you that that you invite us, you don't even invite us, you tell us, you command us in our need to come to you in prayer because, because you listen to us and you're a good and loving Heavenly Father who cares for his children. I pray that we would feel that intuitively today, God. I pray that as we think about what it means to be with you We would long to commune with you through prayer. We would long to speak to you through prayer. I pray God for everyone listening here that you would help us to know how and better to pray. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace until we meet again, or until our Savior comes, and then forever. Amen. You are loved, and you are prayed for, and you are sent.